welcome. South Valley is my church, and this is West Valley. I feel like a presidential candidate now. I'm confused where I am. All right. I'm sorry. Um, I had this whole thing planned, and uh, Fia Vi made me remember. I did the polar bear plunge that year. It was just he carried the lake with him into my bed. And yes, there was video of the event, and no, you can't see it. Um, I'm glad that they put the screen up because you have a lot of incriminating pictures of me. So anyhow, uh, I am really excited to be here. Uh, Brother Pyle has, uh, I've met him last year at camp, last summer at camp, and um, it was uh, it was like a friendship at first sight. Like, what an amazing uh, individual. I wasn't sure. Um, Maybe with a name like, like Pyle, um, I thought he, you know, he may be like a gomer, and uh, so I wasn't sure, but, uh, but he's a great friend. He is uh, he's an amazing preacher. Um, he's, uh, he's kind. He, what did he write down? <laughs> Handsome. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, he's, I, he's just awesome, so I can't say enough about him, and it'll sound dumb if I keep going, so I'm going to stop. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, we'll start in verse 36, if y'all want to stand uh, as we read tonight our passage. <clears throat> Matthew 26, verse number 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful, very heavy. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And he saith to Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. Son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let's pray. And then you can be seated. Lord, I thank you tonight for the so, so many blessings that we have received at your hand. I thank you for West Valley. I thank you for... Their ministries, I thank you for the uh, lighthouse that they are here um, in the western part of our valley. I pray that you would bless this church. I pray that you would bless um, the pastor and the staff here. Bless as we've read your word tonight, Lord. I pray that um, as a result of just the reading of your word that lives would be changed. Um, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, so, Matthew... 26, 36 through 45 is this, is this event in Scripture that we read about uh, Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane and praying. We can read about this same event in the book of Mark, chapter 14, in the book of Luke, chapter 22, 
And John doesn't, John doesn't give us specific details on this particular passage of what went on in the garden with the prayer, but he does tell us a result of the prayer. Um, so we're going to be referencing some of these other places in the Synoptic Gospels and then in John where we can kind of plug in some details. Uh, we can get more information. This passage gives us quite a bit, and we're going to be using it a lot. But uh, the message tonight is going to be on prayer. Um, the subject is prayer. And honestly, if we took the subject of prayer and we were to begin studying the subject of prayer, and we're, we're going to study out everything there is to know about prayer, um, I don't think anybody in here would live long enough to do it. Prayer is such a huge topic. Uh, scripture is filled with it. Jesus gave us so many different illustrations of himself praying. He gave us a model prayer, uh, our Father which art in heaven. He gave us the Lord's Prayer where he actually prayed for us. But you have all these different places in Scripture where the prayer is detailed, uh, highlighted. I'm sorry, details about prayer are highlighted throughout the Bible. And we're going to go through these accounts and look, I think, at a process that Jesus goes through in this garden, <clears throat> this prayer. And verse number 39 is what we're going to focus mainly on. And as I open up this message, I'd like to give you an illustration from a book that I read recently. And so I'm stealing a lot of words from an author, and I have no qualms about it um, because I don't care. So as soon as I started reading the book, he opens with this illustration. He opens with a story, and it just grabbed me. Um, So he was on a camping trip to Pennsylvania with five of his six children. And his wife had decided she was just going to stay home this year. There was a disastrous trip the year before with their, with their daughter, eight-year-old Kim. Uh, and as he was approaching their van from the campsite, his 14-year-old daughter uh, named Ashley was standing at the front of the van, and she was very tense. She was just she standing there tense, very obviously upset about something. And he came up to her and he said, Ashley, what's, what's happening? What's going on? And he, she said, I, I lost my contact. It's gone. Now, if you wear contacts, you know exactly the, that feeling. Uh, when you lose one, you can't wear just one because that's dizzying. Um, and you can't find one if it falls on the bathroom counter, much less the woods. And so he said, I looked down at the forest floor covered with twigs and leaves, a million little crevices for lenses to fall into. And he said, and so instinctively, I said, Ashley, don't move. Let's pray. But before he could pray, she burst into tears, and she said, what good does it do? I've prayed for Kim to speak, and she isn't speaking. Their daughter, Kim, who the wife stayed home with, struggles with autism and developmental delay. Because of weak, fine motor skills and and poor motor planning, she's mute. And the family had been in speech therapy for five years with Kim and had finally quit after the fifth year The last time Kim was in therapy, she crawled out of the office crying because she was so frustrated. Prayer to Ashley in this book was no mere formality. She had taken God at his word that he was going to let Kim speak, but nothing happened. Kim's muteness was a testimony to silence from God. Prayer, it didn't seem, or it seemed it didn't work. Um... Now, few of us, I'm just going to be raw with you guys tonight. Few of us have the courage that Ashley had to articulate this cynicism, this spiritual weariness that develops in us 
when we have a heartfelt prayer and it goes unanswered. The, 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 the raw emotion in a girl that said, what good will it do? I've prayed and it's not working. We keep our doubts hidden because we're good Christians. So we, we I even hide it from ourselves uh, that, that I don't want to sound like a bad Christian, so I'm not going to say this, but honestly, when we pray and we get weary in it, honestly, our hearts just kind of shut down to the thought even of prayer. There's a glib way that people talk about prayer sometimes, and that just reinforces cynicism. This is what you'll hear, um, I'll lift you up in my prayer, or um, I'll remember you in prayer. We go and quote Paul, plagiarize, uh, Paul, who said, uh, who says, uh, uh, I, I make mention of you in my prayer. It sounds more spiritual, doesn't it? Because it's Bible. Um, and we use phrases like this, but honestly, the reason it adds to cynicism is few people who use those terms actually pray, actually get around to praying. Um, why? Because we don't think prayer makes much of a difference. It's just honest. I know this is encouraging. I can see it by the look on your faces. You're so excited. Let's pray and close. Prayer doesn't work. Uh, No, I'll conclude the story from the author. He said, I needed help when Ashley burst into tears in front of our minivan. I was frozen, caught between her doubts and my own. I had no idea she'd been praying for Kim to speak. And what meant Ashley's tears so disturbing is she was right. God had not answered her prayers. Kim was still mute. He said, I was fearful for my daughter's faith and for my own. I did not know what to do. Y'all, y'all hearing this? Would I make problems worse by praying? If we prayed and couldn't find the contact, it would just confirm Ashley's growing unbelief. I had little confidence God would do anything, but I prayed silently, Father, this would be a really good time to come through. You've got to hear this prayer for the sake of Ashley. And he says, then I prayed aloud with Ashley, Father, help us find this contact. And there sitting on a leaf was the missing lens. He said, prayer made a difference after all. Now, I I ask this, have you been there before? Have you ever, now how about, Parents, you don't need to raise your hand, but parents, have you ever had your child say, let's pray about this? And you thought, uh, well, what if, it, what if it doesn't work? I mean, has that happened? Can you relate in some way to the testing and the trying of faith in prayer? Because there is a testing and trying of faith in prayer. Um, Have you found in your own personal life that a cynicism towards prayer has crept in? Now, cynicism looks different, okay? It's not just, I don't think it works. Because I asked, God said no, and it doesn't work. Because I asked for it, and God said no. That's not only, or the only way that cynicism works. You know, another way cynicism can work is, I prayed, and what I asked for didn't happen the way I wanted it to. Or, who, who has a weather app on their phone? Yeah, great gamblers, right? It's, it works great here in Idaho. It works just about as good here as it does in Florida, um, where I'm from. But you look at the weather forecast, and you see there's a chance of rain. And you pray, God, please let it rain, because I work outside, and we'll get, 
off of work that day or whatever, uh, unless you work for Robbie Wickland. <laughs> you don't get the day off. But uh, you looked at the weather forecast that said there was going to be rain potentially, so you pray that there's rain, and it rains. And you say, I prayed for rain, and it rained, but you know in your mind you're thinking, I knew it was going to rain. Or I'll pray for your surgery. I'll, I'll pray that God brings you through the surgery. It's going to be great. But you know that the faith that you're putting in, it, it's, it's in the doctors. I mean, they're going to do a good job. They've done this for years and everything. Sometimes our cynicism is not necessarily a God doesn't answer prayer. He's not going to do it. It's just a no, it doesn't work. It's sometimes, yeah, I'll say I'll pray for it. But honestly, it's all just going to happen. Like he's some deist thing sitting up in heaven that turned everything loose on earth and whatever happens happens and he's not really involved because he doesn't care um that's the cynicism view the cynical view of prayer that can creep into our lives um maybe god answers prayer but he does it in a different way than you've wanted or expected but don't despair in this because i think what 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 really is happening is is there's a different view or maybe a different approach to prayer that we should maybe take um or at least if you'll let me just submit it out there and you can take it or leave it. Um, I've got a quote that I'm going to work from. This is the quote. Prayer is less concerned about discerning God's will than it is trying to discern and disown yours. I'm going to say it again. It it sounds a little bit heretical, and I apologize if that sounds that way. I'm going to explain it to you. But prayer is less concerned about discerning God's will than it is about you discerning yours and then disowning it. Um, if we think it sounds spiritual to simply pray God's will, if you will, into any situation, it's just going to be fine. You know, I prayed for God's will in this, and it's, it's, I mean, it'd be, it'd be fine. You sound real spiritual. It does sound very spiritual. You know, it's not completely wrong because it's partially true. We should want God's will in every situation of our lives, right? Hopefully nobody in here thinks we shouldn't want God's will. We should want God's will in every situation in our lives. We should desire it. Now look at Jesus. He, he prays for God's will to be done. And then let's look at the actual process that he goes through. Uh, first point tonight, discern what it is that you want. First step in this process that was kind of abrupt, I apologize. First point is going to be discern what it is that you want. That's the first step in this process, a three-step process. Simple question, what is it you're praying for? Not what's the situation. What is it you want? What's the outcome you're asking for? What is it you want? Discern what it is that you want. What's the outcome you most desire in a situation? You, you, when we get to the point where we're praying for something, we have to not start off vague with God. He doesn't like vague, vagity, vagueness. I, vagueness, that sounds better to me. You can't be vague with him. You know what? You can't over-spiritualize with him, and you shouldn't under-emphasize or be vague. Over-spiritualization sounds good because we sound spiritual. Our gracious Heavenly Father, God of Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, the rest of the Boam clan, yes, Thou alone canst intercede today, and we humbly ask that thou wilt have thy will and way in this time of trouble. It sounds really good, right? That sounds awesome. Do you talk like that? So he's probably going, who is that? When you start, okay, so don't do that. Okay, that's over-spiritualization. Under-expression. God, 
I, I love these prayers because anyhow, we ask you are present and you work in this situation. You know our hearts. Duh, dummy. He knows your hearts. He is omniscient. He is the all-knowing God. He knows your heart. Tell him your heart. Okay, so let me tell you a story. When I, all right, so Georgia, back here. Is a visitor supposed to, like, introduce his family? I'm not doing it because it's in the middle of a message now, but I should have introduced my family. I have a family, and they love me. All right, so Georgia. The guy who's preaching at y'all's missions thing, that's, my, that's her dad. That's my father-in-law. Now, you'll, when you meet him, if you've never met him, he's 6'4". It's a little bit intimidating height-wise, uh, but he's a teddy bear. Uh, no, he won't watch this. So, um, so this is the story of me asking Georgia to marry me, okay? So we're traditional Southern people, and you don't ask the girl to marry you unless you have talked to her daddy. Not her dad, her daddy. Diddy. So I conjured up a plan. I lived in Jacksonville at the time. I was a youth pastor at a church in Jacksonville. And every year for the youth conference in Portland, we, or every other year, we would fly out with the whole youth group. And it happened to be we started dating in the summer of the year we were going to Portland in November. So I was ready to do this. So I had the ring, and I flew to Idaho. And as far as Georgia knew, I was just coming to Idaho. I wanted to visit everybody. And my plan was to ask her to marry me on the bridge at Multnomah Falls. Ladies, thank you. So, um, so let the record show that everybody was impressed. Okay, so moving on. But I have to ask him. And I have to do it when she doesn't know I'm doing it. I have to be sneaky because she's going to know why I'm asking her dad, talking to her dad privately in the office. So I go in and I sit down to talk to him. And right here, you're me. This is where he was sitting. It was like Mr. Potter. Have you ever seen the It's a Wonderful Life where George sits down and he's sitting at the desk? So I'm sitting there as he is just smug as anything, knowing exactly what I'm doing. And he lets me ask, you know, I, I gave him all of the over-spiritualized things. You know, I really love Georgia. I, I mean, I feel like she's God's will for my life, and she, I think she feels the same way about me. And uh, it just, I'd love to spend the rest of my life with her. Uh, I have a ring. Uh, he would, I have a ring. Am I missing anything? No. She's awesome, and y'all are great. I think our families would get along really well. And, like, I went on and just prattled on, and at the end of it, he just smirks. And he does it still. He smirks still. It's really annoying. (laughs) He smirked, and he said, so you want to marry Georgia? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. I could have saved some time, I'm imagining, but, yes, I want to marry Georgia. So it was this... I come into him, and I've got this exact thing I want. I have discerned what I wanted, and I go into him, and I say everything but what I want. Like, that's, how would you approach a father with a request? Would you not come to him and specifically say, this is the thing I want? This is what I want. I'm going to ask you. I've got a relationship with him, right? You love him. You know he loves you. You know he wants the best for you. So when you come to him and say, I like something you should expect as a Christian that he's going to want to hear what you have to say and that you have the ability to come to him and say what you want. Discern what it is that you want and then articulate it. Um, Can I submit this? Nobody in here has ever prayed for something that was vitally important to you. It It is vitally important to you. 
and you prayed to God and you just cut yourself off, you divorced yourself from the outcome of that prayer. Nobody's done that. Nobody does that. If it's important enough to you to go to God for it, you are invested. You want this thing and you're asking specifically what you want. You're articulating it to him. But you don't walk away and say, well, whatever, whatever, no big deal. That's not how we approach God. That's not how we walk away. Um, And I think that's part of the problem is we're not going through the steps as we ought to. Look at Christ. When he was in the garden, he's praying to the Father. He said this in Matthew 26, 39, if you still got your Bible open. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Do you hear a discernment of what he wanted and an articulation of what he wanted? Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He is saying plainly and clearly what he wants. Very clearly. Now, I want to very briefly touch on the subject of what Jesus was praying for because we're reading it. What was his desired outcome? What what did he want? Now, I've read commentary after commentary, and I've read notes in Bibles, and I've seen so many different theories on this. One of the theories was that Satan was tempting Jesus, and he was falling into temptation in the garden, asking God not to let him die for the sins of the world. Um, Can I say the Greek for it, George? I did it this morning. (laughs) That's not it, okay? That's not it. Jesus wasn't begging God to not die for our sins. Really? Anyhow, I wish I could talk to that commentator, but he's dead. Um, And he knows now. All right. I'm going to read from a commentator. I don't necessarily hold to every single thing he said here, but it's from John Phillips. He says, and what is it that filled his cup with horror? Was it the cross? Any man would shrink from the cross, for it was a dreadful way to die. But many had died that way, and many more would. No, it was not the physical means of death that caused him to sweat blood. It was our sin. It was the thought of being made sin, of dying for sin. I don't agree with that, of being accursed of God. It was the thought of being alone with no eye to pity him and no hand to save. Let me tell you what happened on the cross, the three hours of darkness. Jesus is on the cross, and there is a three-hour period where the Bible is silent. There is a three-hour period of darkness. God shrouded the world in darkness. They were a little nervous when that happened. I imagine you would be too. The world is shrouded in darkness. God himself has turned his back on his very son and himself because Jesus is God. Three hours of darkness on this world. There's where the cup came. There's where the drinking happened. He suffered. He suffered the rejection of God for us. He suffered the He suffered the guilt of sin for us. He suffered the wrath of God on that cross. What's the cup? And he's not saying, I don't want to die and be the Messiah. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There was no, there's no waffling here. This is our savior wasn't a weakling. He was looking at God and he was saying, God, if there's any other way, I'm articulating to you something that's not very popular. If there's any other way, I'd like to find it. He does finish his statement. We're not there yet. You'll have to wait. Let me read you about this cup. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, his joy is you and me. We're his joy. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He, he took every single sin that has ever been committed 
and will be committed willfully. And he drank it in the cup for us. He wasn't looking to get out of his Messiah duties. It wasn't a lapse of faith. This is Jesus asking God if there's another way. Is there another way? Is there another way? 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us. What? He made him to be sin, not to suffer from sin and not to have our sin. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That is a statement that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, I'm going to move on. All right. One thing from Martin Luther. The statement on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what Martin Luther said on this? He studied the subject for years. You know what his statement is? God forsaken by God. Who can understand that? So I will close this section of covering this with who can understand fully what he was asking for in this garden. Um, I will say, though, the Greek, I'm not going to say it again, but in Greek, what I think of the trying to waffle on his Messiah duties. Um, First, first thing, discern what it is that you want and articulate it in prayer. Second, disown your will concerning the outcome. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will. Did you catch the disowning of the will? This is what I want. I'm asking you specifically, this is what I want. Nevertheless, not as I will. Jesus, in this very statement, is doing something. Second step is to disown your will concerning the outcome. The easiest part I would have to say in this process is discerning what it is that we want. Because you start praying because you have a discernment about what you want, right? You pray for something you want. I'd say the hardest thing or one of the most difficult parts of the process is articulating what it is we want. It's kind of hard to articulate and say, this is what I want and actually say it. There is a rawness and a vulnerability to prayer. When you go to God and you say, God, this is what I want. It's huge. It is major. The answer may be no. Or... The outcome may be different than what I want. I have a desired outcome here. It's hard to articulate it. And then let's go a step further and do something that makes zero sense to a sin-cursed world. Disown it. This is what I want. I'm telling you exactly what it is that I want, God. But not as I will. I'm disowning my will in this in favor of trusting you. Whatever you decide in this situation. Um... That's a big step, and most of us like to skip from this is what I want to, nevertheless, all right, thy will be done. We skip this whole thing. There's a big step in the process. you got to take the little steps to articulate what you want once you've discerned what it is, and then you have to disown, and that is a real live choice that you have to make in the moment. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, this is Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Let me give you a backstory. Three Hebrew young men. At this point, they were young men. They were three Hebrew boys at one point in the scripture. Now we can call them young men. And they are threatened by a fiery furnace. And here's the cool thing about the fiery furnace. The king had made the fire hotter so it would kill them worse. Anyhow, Seven times hotter. Okay, you made the fire hotter. Good for you. What does it do? It makes you deader? No, it makes you, you're just as dead. Um, I, 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 I talk about the furnace. And I say, the furnace, it's a lie. 
It's just a lie. It's just a threat from Satan, but Nebuchadnezzar's making it nevertheless. And so Nebuchadnezzar's standing before these three Hebrew boys. He says, here's my statue. Bow down to it. Or suffer the consequences. Be thrown into a fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three young men said, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We don't even have to think about it, king. No conference. We're not going to talk to each other. Are you all good? No, they didn't have to do that. We're not careful to answer thee. We don't have to think about it. Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Burn or not, we're delivered out of your hand. You're, you're of none effect in this situation. And he says in verse 18, this is not a cop-out. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. This is, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, our desire is that God would save us from the fiery furnace. Would that be your desire too? Anybody in here wish you could just burn in the fiery furnace? All right, good. Um, <laughs> duh, our desire, and they articulated it. We want to be saved from the fiery furnace and God can do it. But if not, nothing's changing this resolve. You are of known effect. You're really not even a thought here. We're going to continue serving him. We're not bowing down to your idol. That's, that's foolishness. However God decides to work, this is what we want. However, we've disowned our desired outcome. However God chooses to work, we, we're, can I say it? We ain't bowing down to your idol. It's not happening. Um, nothing changes the resolve here. You have to discern what it is that you want and articulate it. You have to disown your will concerning the outcome. And then third, you have to desire God's will above your own and accept his outcome. Desire God's will above your own and accept the outcome. I'm going to read several verses here uh, in a, in a, as we go along. Matthew 26, 39, again, our verse. Went a little farther, fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. It's just kind of... Wherever you fall on this, Lord, wherever, Father, wherever you fall out on this, that's what I want. I've said my peace. I've disowned that. Whatever you decide. Verse 42 is in the same string of verses. Jesus is going back to pray, and this is his next prayer. If this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. It looks to me as though Jesus is receiving the answer from the Father. He's beginning to receive an answer. And the answer is coming in with Jesus coming to an understanding. He says, if this cup isn't going to pass except I drink it, thy will be done. Um, And acceptance comes in here. When we come to a place in our prayer time where we have articulated what it is we desire in the outcome, and we're willing to disown that in favor of God's will and method. I love that fact because when God answers us, sometimes he don't answer us with the same method we wanted, but the outcome can be the same. Um, We've come to the place where we're truly praying for his will in a situation. It feels spiritual to say in that preachy, quivering voice that God would have his way and will in every situation. And it, it, it sounds and feels real, but honestly, Jesus is praying in a garden for something and he gives us a step-by-step process of what he went through in that garden. Luke twenty-two forty-three. don't turn there. 
this, this is part of God's answer, if you'll catch it. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Do you all hear the answer? Do you see the answer? Jesus is praying, if, if, it be your, like if there's any other way. And then he says, if this can't pass unless I drink it. And then an angel comes and strengthens him. You think maybe he's getting an answer here? Strength is an answer because he's going to have to drink the cup. How did Jesus decide to handle this with God's outcome? John eighteen eleven. Then Jesus said to Peter, that, all right, so Jesus is arrested. Judas Iscariot comes and gives him that kiss, that betrayal kiss on the cheek. And, and, and Peter picks up a sword. The fisherman is going to be a sword wielder and tries to lop off Malchus's ear. No, I'm sorry, head. And Malchus glanced, wouldn't you, if somebody was wildly swinging a sword at you? And his ear came off, and Jesus heals the ear. But it says, uh, then Jesus says to Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? What's Jesus' response to God's will? What's Jesus' response to the answer he received from the father? Now, I'm not saying God's answer is always going to be that cut and dry, but what's Jesus' response? Accepting. Accepting 100% what God wants, accepting 100% the way God wants to do it, the method with which he did it. And if you follow the rest of the story of Jesus' walk to stand before Caiaphas, to stand before Pilate, you have Herod the weirdo thrown in there. Like you have all of these things going, a crown of thorns, a scourging that usually killed people, a cross. How did he respond to all of it? He drank every last drop. He accepted the father, the, the cup which my father gave me, shall I not drink it? Um, he didn't just accept God's will, he accepted his way and his method. I, I'd like to share a testimony with you tonight, and I don't, I don't do this very, very often, but it's a, a personal testimony from our, uh, mine and Georgia's, uh, our family's life. Um, and I want to I couch it in this way. I'm going to tell you an illustration from our lives about how we live something out completely and perfectly and about how the outcome wasn't what we wanted. And sometimes we read the Bible and we read these really cool stories of how it worked out so awesome and how great that was. And we kind of forget that Joseph had to spend the night in the pit. And we forget that he was sold into slavery. And we forget he was falsely accused of trying to take advantage of a man's wife and he was put in prison. And we forget. And we, but yeah, he was in, you know, Joseph said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Great. But what all did he go through? Um, so I'm going to share you a story. Um, we were told, so Georgia, we've had, uh, we have five kids, five awesome children. Madison's asleep. I'm not offended because <laughs> about eight more of you are. Uh, so I'm better looking than your pastor, but I'm not as good a preacher. Uh, so anyhow, we've had eight pregnancies, five kids here with us. Um, the first time that we s- suffered loss was, uh, was back in 2013 in October. And um, I, d- I don't remember the name, subchorionic hemorrhage. It just came to me, subchorionic hemorrhage. It's a complication that happens in pregnancies, and it's pretty usually, it just ends the pregnancy. It's just just not, there's not much they can do, um, even with bed rest. And of course, there's a million different remedies. If you ever have a sickness, put it out there. People will tell you what will heal it. And um, so we went through a miscarriage, lost a baby. And in um, the summer, the end of the summer of 2014, found out she was pregnant again. 
and the ultrasound, Madison actually was born between them, um, the ultrasound showed another subchorionic hemorrhage. And we just knew, we just knew this was not going to end the same way because it's just not. I, we can put all these different reasons as to why, but it's just not, it's not going to end the same way. And I can't explain to you why we knew that, but we knew it. And so we commenced to praying, and we asked every single person that we knew on social media, all 20 of them, uh, to pray and spread the word. You know what we told them to pray? That God's will would be done. No. We went through steps. You know what the first step was? We want our baby to live. First step, we want the subchorionic hemorrhage to be healed. There's nothing we can do about it. There's no medication she can take for it. She'd sit on her head if she could, but nothing was going to fix it. So we said, please fix the subchorionic hemorrhage. Please let the baby go to 40 weeks, at least 36 weeks. Let the baby live. Don't do this again. And so we were raw and we were open and we asked people to be raw and open. Just ask God for what we want. This is what we want. We articulated it very clearly, very raw, very real to God. And um, we told him exactly what we wanted. And we, in, in a way, we bargained. I told you I'm going to tell you some truth about me. I'm going to pull a veil back, and you're going to say, man, that guy is a loser. All right, so we bargained with God. God, you know the glory you would receive, because we would not give it to a doctor. You know the glory you would receive. There's, hope. It's, there's no hope here. The doctor, she's a sweet, kind lady, uh, Christian lady, but... Mm, She's, she was honest. She said, there's no way. And she actually, the last doctor's appointment we had before, before the rest of the story, last doctor's appointment we had, she said, Georgia, either the hemorrhage is going to win or the baby's going to win. But they can't both coexist anymore. We're at a point. It's, it, it can't. We just can't have both. One of them's going to have to lose. That's a nice way of putting it. She was very kind about it. But we were, we were hit with that. We, we posted about that. We begged people, please pray. This is the time. This is the, this is the crunch time. Please pray. And I don't want you to hear, because I'm telling the story in hindsight. I can look back on 2015. I, like, I can look back and see these events. I can see the stuff happening. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking from a hindsight perspective. I know everything. So I can look back and tell you details. I didn't know in the moment. And I can tell you right now, because I, I seem a little bit confident in what I'm saying, because I am today. I was not confident in 2015. I, I lived this imperfectly. Um, but as I look back today, 2020 of all years, um, I can see God's hand working. And he was working. We were in the walls of St. Luke's Hospital. Um, because it, it, it became apparent to us at 21 weeks and one day along. Anybody who knows pregnancies knows 21 weeks, one day is not very, it's too soon. 26 was the very, 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 very soonest that they would even consider viability. Um, I think there's been babies that have been born before then, but it, they're just not normal cases. Um, and I say one day because one day makes a difference. 20, 21 weeks, one day, 21 weeks, four days, huge difference. And so 21 weeks, one day, it became evident it wasn't, she wasn't staying in anymore. And in that time, we had to make some decisions that parents shouldn't make. 
we're faced with some decisions. What are you going to do? How's it going to work? How long is she going to live? We have no idea. What are you going to do while she's alive? We don't know. We're going to have to make those decisions in the moment. We're like, we've got, it, it went from she's coming to make all of these decisions, life or death decisions in the moment. Well, I can tell you, humanly speaking, in that hospital room, we were absolutely alone. God had organized it, orchestrated it. We were by ourselves. We have a very close, tight-knit family. Every one of them was either out of the country or somewhere where they could not get to us. Like, we're talking, her parents were in China. Like, they couldn't get a flight. It all happened so quickly, and we're by ourselves. But let me tell you what we experienced in the hospital room. Just like Jesus is praying in the garden, because we're begging God, even in the hospital room, even knowing it's hopeless, we're still telling him, this is what we want. This is the outcome we want. And even in that hospital room, um, just like Jesus in the garden, he gave us strength. And I can be real with you. I didn't want strength because I knew what the answer was when the strength comes. I don't want that. I, I, no, we're still over here, God. And I fought it and I pushed. I didn't want this. I hadn't disowned my desired outcome. And you have to understand, I, I wouldn't go back to me in 2015 and say, you, you need to tell God it's okay for your daughter to die. That, that, I, I'm not saying that I should go back and do that. I am saying that I had to go through the same exact process of steps. I didn't do them in the right timing, but I did do them. Because I had to take my desired outcome and I had to release it because I had a method that I wanted him to heal her with. And let me give you a little insight from our daughter, Reagan, because she spoke volumes to us. She said, I prayed that God would heal McKinley, and he did. He took her to heaven. What insight from a child? Um, that's the thing about this. I, I, want, I want to give you all these really good examples of time that we, we, man, we grabbed the horns of the altar and we told God what we wanted and he, he listened to us and, and we, 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 we let go of our will. We disowned our will for the outcome and God came through and did what we needed. I want to give you those stories. But you know what? I think sometimes we feel like less of a Christian when we're able to, like, I'm telling you, you're not less of a Christian when you pray to God for something very specifically and his answer is no, not that way. This is how we're doing it. This is how it's going to go. Let me tell you something that Job said. And, and, and I've come to the point in my life. It's been the steps in the process. And this is where I am looking at what Job said. Though he slay me. This is in chapter 13. Job has already lost his children. He's already lost his animals, his fortune. He has lost his health. His wife, and I don't, I don't ridicule her for this, but his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? She hated seeing her husband, whom she loved, suffering like this. Why don't you just curse God and die? You'll go to heaven. Just, 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 why? Give, just give up. He'd gone through that. He'd gone through three idiot friends who came and encouraged him by telling him he was a horrible, wicked sinner, and that's why God was punishing him. Please don't do that to your friends. He'd gone through all that, and in verse, chapter 13, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. Nothing's going to change my ways before him. I will maintain them. Um, 
I came through the same process of steps that we just went over. I didn't go through them in the time. I, won't be, I just want to be honest with you guys. I'm, I'm super Christian here. No, I didn't handle them properly, but I went through them. And honestly, one of the things that I learned through this experience was this process. This exact process. What do you want? Are you willing to disown that in favor of trusting his outcome? Are you willing to disown what you want? Just let go and allow him to take the reins and give you the outcome he wants. Give you, give you his desired outcome. Um, I'm going to close with this. While it's absolutely true that we should pray, we should desire God's will in every single situation, often it's really not that simple to just name it and claim it, if you will. I believe this process was given to us. I, I truly believe when we read through this, the process was given to us in this passage and the other passages. Um, if something's important enough to you to pray, if something is important enough that you will come to God and you feel the need to come before him on your face, as Jesus did, you know there's a particular desired outcome you have in mind. If you don't have a desired outcome, why are you praying? What's the, what, what's the point? Looking at that desire, finding that desire so you can disown it. So you can say, I release what it is that I want, how I want it, because I cannot control these things. They're out of my hands. And I'm going to trust God here. I'll be honest with him and tell him what I want, but I'm going to trust him. Let's uh, stand and pray. I think we're going to do just a brief hymn of invitation. I Honestly, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Um, I don't, I don't know why this is the message I brought tonight. I have no idea. I can tell you the process is real. It works. God is to be trusted. If you need to come to the altar, you're free to tonight. Um,
touch me and heal me, Savior dear.